All right, thank you so much, worship team. Great morning so far. Um, Greg, Jan, Ben, thank you very much for, uh, for what you share with us. We like to say at Grace Point, every story matters, and these are things that we're talking about, that the stories that God is weaving into your life and my life matter. No matter where you are in your journey, no matter where you are at life, God is using that, we believe, either to bring you here or to have you be hearing this message and sharing and worship with us this morning, that God is shaping your story, and it matters where you are at your life right now. So thank you for worshiping and leading us out of that and from where you are. Deeply appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. For those who don't know me, thank you so much for joining us in worship this morning. And you have found us in part three of a series we're calling Meaningful. Uh, this is a, a, a summer series for us in which we are uh, considering that one big idea changes everything about life from potentially meaning less to meaning full. And we're using the book of Ecclesiastes as our point of departure and study for this summer series. And uh, being three weeks into it now, just briefly, I will tell you if you are new to this series this morning or if you cannot remember what you had for breakfast this morning and certainly cannot remember what we talked about last Sunday, perhaps this review will be helpful for you as well. But I am coming to this study with this approach that I've said before is perhaps slightly controversial, and that is I'm not convinced that Solomon actually wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're not a church person, you may not even know why that's controversial, but I'm just telling you, most conservative church people would believe that. I'm questioning that, and I'm actually suggesting that perhaps there were two authors to the book, one who would be what we call a frame author, that is the person organizing the material, and secondly, the person that I call Q, or the teacher, or kohole in Hebrew that this teacher, Q, is wise, but pessimistic and a little bit jaded. And the problem with Q's teaching is it's incomplete. His highest hope for life is that you're going to die. So I like to envision Q being on the, the deck of the Titanic, with the Titanic having hit the iceberg and everyone's going to die. And so in that moment of reflecting on life, you have to ask the question, what does it matter how wise I am? Because we're going down in an hour and we're all going to die. What does it matter how much money I make because we're all going to die? What does it matter if I punch you in the face or serve you another piece of cake? It doesn't really matter because we're all going to die. And really, Q over and over and over and over and over again in his book is writing about what does it matter we're all going to die? What does it matter we're all going to die? What does it matter we're all going to die? That's just kind of this over and over theme, which is why the book opens up with meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless because he thinks the ship is sinking. But what if you're still in the Titanic and someone says, wait, wait, there's life after death. That changes everything about everything. And that's what I believe is happening in this book, that the frame author at the end of the book is saying, wait, take the wisdom, but wait, apply the filter of the resurrection and watch how it will change everything in life from meaningless to meaningful. And so here's our outline that, that we've been working on. This changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. Last week we talked about how it changes everything from thinking about what is wise or unwise. And this week we're talking about how we see our work. Next week we're going to talk about money and wealth, then oppression and injustice, about our reputations and about knowing God's will. We're following Q's teaching throughout the book. So this morning we're talking about our work. Now, work is a place where you will spend much of your time. And let me be clear with this. I'm speaking of work, not just a vocation, but the work of your hands. It could be that you are not 
um, employed in a place that actually pays you real money right now. But you might be employed at home taking care of the children, or you are, quote-unquote, retired from your work. Perhaps you volunteer hours both in our community and here at the church, and you're involved as a grandparent in the lives of your grandchildren, or you're involved in a whole variety of ways. In other words, you are active, you are involved, you're working in some capacity. Um, The reality is we spend so much of our energy and time working in some capacity that it's worth thinking about how we approach what we do. I don't know if any of you can relate to the feeling of never getting your work done. Isn't that true? The the, um, phrase was... uh, shared with me not too long ago that there was only one person who ever got his work done by Friday, and that was Robinson Crusoe. That was, that was, that's going to come slowly over the next couple minutes for some of you, okay? If you're younger than Robinson Crusoe's story, then go ahead and ask mom and dad about that, all right? But the reality is work just continues to to build. There's always stuff to do, right? There's always more that can be done. And if you're anything like me, you always feel like, man, there's just, I never get it all done. Like, I just can't get it done. There's just always things I have to do. And hey, even if I get it all done this week, I'm going to go next week, I'm going to have more to do. Even when I get all the laundry done tomorrow, guess what? There's going to be more laundry. Even then I get all the cooking done, guess what? People want to eat later tonight too. Good grief. What's with all these people wanting to eat all the time? Like, it just never gets done, right? I mean, just always, 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 what do I do with work? And so here's the thing. We approach work, um, now I'm going to speak vocationally, for those who have gone into a vocational workforce where you're actually getting paid real money to do what you're doing right now, you've launched into that for a variety of reasons. Some of you have launched into that because you really do want to make a bunch of money. And I'm not really down on that. It just depends on what you want to use that for and, and what's driving that, okay? Some of you are into the money thing. Some of you are into reputation, like, man, I'm going to do it better than my dad. I'm going to do it better than my family. I'm going to do it better than people who thought I couldn't do it, so I'm just going to kill it with work. It's all about my reputation. Others are like, man, I'm just going to revolutionize an industry. Like, no one has ever thought about doing it this way before, and I'm going to do it this way, and I'm I'm going to knock it out of the park in this. Others are like, hey, that all really sounds great. I just wanted to stay in the area, and I figured I need to pay rent, so I'm just, you know, paying rent. I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing, and, you know, I had to work. It was either that or go to the homeless shelter. That didn't seem like a good plan, so I'm just kind of working because I have to. You know, others are into maybe part-time work just to gain a little bit of income to help the family and all that, and I get that, but there's all kinds of reasons for work. But here's the thing. Because work is so daily, here's what happens. In short order, in short order, we, we stop thinking critically about why we're working at all. Rarely do I wake up in the morning and review the key priorities and passions of my life that drive me to do what I'm going to do. You know what? I wake up thinking like, man, what do I have to do today? Like, what's on the thing to do today and this week and maybe this month and this season? It's about let me get things done. And rarely do I wake up thinking about the, the drive that moved me even into what I'm doing in the first place. And here's what can happen with work very quickly then, work can degenerate into becoming something that serves me. Work can become the things that you do that allow you to make a little bit extra income, that allow you to have freedom with your family, that allow you to feed your family, and work serves your interests. And I get that, because it does, it functions in that way. But work, without critically thinking about it, can simply become something that serves my interests through the scope of my life. And here's 
the question I have for us. And here's this, the tension with that. If that is what work becomes, something that serves me, here's my question. What if you get to the end of your life and work has served you well? Will you be satisfied? What if you get to the end of your life and let's just say that all the things that you wanted to do, you could do because you worked for them. Let's just say you're able to pay for college for everybody in the world that you wanted to pay for college for. Let's just say you're able to make every rent payment that you could make. Let's say you're able to buy a house and you could make all the mortgage payments, even pay it off early. Let's say you could take care of all the kids' dental bills, right, and all the weddings that you're going to have because you have 5,000 children and they all are getting married. I mean, what if you could take care of all the things in life that you feel like, I need to work to take care of? Would you, at the end of life, be satisfied? Yeah, that was great. And I, I want to tell you, here, this is a big question. This is a big question because where you're at now, if you're not thinking about the end, you'll continue to make daily decisions that may not be as critical or reflective or helpful. And those daily decisions become weekly decisions, become monthly habits, become lifetime legacies or not. And so how we think about our day and how we think about our work is very important. And I would like to suggest to you that if work fully satisfies your interest through the course of a lifetime, that at the end of your life you will be very disappointed. That at the end of your life, it will not be enough for you to say, man, that was great. I had everything that I needed. I just want to suggest to you that I do not believe that is true at all. And you know why? Two reasons. One, your own experience. And number two, what we're going to read in Ecclesiastes. Your own experience tells you, as excited as you were to buy that new car that you bought, it's now 10 years later and that excitement has gone a long time ago. That excitement about getting that new phone that you got a year ago, remember that thing that you dropped and cracked and fell in the toilet and you had to put it in rice and all that? Remember that excitement about that? That excitement is gone and, and waned. Remember the new clothes that you couldn't wait to get with the new budget that you had and here we go and the, the new house that was bigger and all that? The things that around you accumulated because you were excited and interested. Remember all that stuff? That stuff that you were hoping for? You know what I mean? The shine wears off before too long. This is why there's, I think, reality TV shows about lottery winners who all of a sudden their lives go not uphill but downhill in a hurry because all of a sudden their needs are satisfied. Here's what I believe about the human condition. Our souls have a, a weight to them that we cannot bear. Our souls have an eternal desire and longing for something more. We heard it in the sharing of the stories this morning. There's something deep within us that wants to be connected to something bigger, something stronger, more powerful, more sovereign, more grace-filled and loving and forgiving than we can ever create. And work is the most tangible way to put that effort into practice. But I'm telling you, work and the work of our hands, even if it fully satisfies us for our life, quote-unquote, we will get to the end of life and we'll be like, man, is that it? Is that it? Is this what I worked for? Because the Titanic is going down. Is, is this it? And I want to take you to the teachings of Q, of our teacher. And I want to get into this moment with him because this is where he's at at the end of his life, asking the question about the work of his hands and all that he's done. 
a very sobering moment for him as he sits on the deck of the Titanic with it going down and reviewing, man, what have I worked for? A great reflective question for us as we get into it. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's no problem. There should be a Bible in the pew around you. That, by the way, will be our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that with you. You'll find that book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. If you turn to the middle of the Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms. Right behind that, then as you keep going, you'll find Proverbs, and then you'll find Ecclesiastes tucked right in there. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. All right, here we go. 17 to verse 23 to begin. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, reading from the New International Version. So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things that I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. Yet this too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And then he must leave all he owns to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief, and even at, at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Isn't that so awesome? What a great section of Scripture. I don't know why Hallmark has not picked up on this part of Scripture yet and done some kind of movie or you know, inspirational quote thing on this piece. I mean, this is awesome, isn't it? Great. So I hated life. And here's Q. Listen, the, the core has been cut out of his hope. All right? He has worked and you can read what, I mean, you can see what I just read there. He has worked with wisdom, with skill, like he's been good at what he's done. He has excelled. He's smart. And he's good at it. And then the core of it is cut out. He's like, I worked for all of these things. I worked to satisfy my needs. I worked to provide for all of this stuff. And now you're telling me the Titanic is going down? Like, I'm going to die. And then I have to leave this business, I have to leave what I've done to somebody else? Really? Like after all of that, like I thought I was working for something more fulfilling. I thought that work would provide me with something more than that. He's like, this is foolishness, like this is meaningless. And the core is just dropped right out of what he's going for. And so he's left at a crossroads, like what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do when I, when I realize I hate all the things that I toil for under the sun? Like, I worked really hard, and now i got to leave, leave this stuff. What, what am I supposed to do? How do I go on? I mean, how do I go to work knowing that I'm going to have to leave this for somebody else? And here he actually has an answer. And his answer is right here in verse 24. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. That's his answer. All right, so here's what he's saying. If you're on the Titanic and you know you're going to die and someone hands you a piece of 
whatever, red velvet cake or double chocolate peanut butter delight cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory or whatever you like to eat. If you can eat that while you're slowly sliding into the cold, dark sea and enjoy it, that's a gift from God. He says, hey, if you can enjoy the little things that your work will provide you, do it. If you can enjoy the vacations, do it. If you can enjoy the new car that you can get because you worked harder than anybody else, do it. If you can get more clothes than anybody in the history of humanity because you work hard, do it while you slide into the cold, dark sea. And if you can enjoy that, that is a gift from God. Because that's all you have. And then you will die. Isn't that awesome? This is why I think his teaching is incomplete. But, listen, don't you know people like this? Come on, don't you, don't you know people who are like, you know what, hey, whatever. Like, hey, I'm going to go do whatever. I'm going to go spend whatever. I'm going to enjoy the moment. Now listen, there's wisdom in that. There's actually wisdom in that, in not missing the little moments, in, in, in savoring the ice cream that you get to share with your family on a given night of the, of, the, of the summer. Because those moments, they seem like they'll go on forever, but they don't go on forever. Family members move. They get relocated. Some die. I mean, the moments are worth enjoying. There's wisdom in saying, slow it down, enjoy the little moments, savor it. There's absolutely wisdom in that. But here, Q, his only hope is, you're going to die anyway, so if you can enjoy that little cheesecake on your way to death, do it, enjoy it. And don't you know people who live like that? And this is the big difference between people who have a hope beyond this life and those who don't. Those who do not have a hope beyond this life, all that they can have and enjoy is the hard work for the pleasure of the moment. Is the accumulation of the things that will come with them, both, both physical and, 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 and not, both the, the things that I can buy and the security or comfort that I can secure for myself. And Q is saying, listen, be careful. Be careful. You're going to die. Don't forget that. And if in the middle of that you can say, hey, I can enjoy it while I'm going to death, enjoy it. Now, here's what I think. I think Q is incomplete. I think his teaching is incomplete. I, I, I don't think that this is all there is to work. I don't think that I should dismiss you and say, now, go therefore and enjoy the little things that you have that you can create because you're going to die. And that's as much as work means for you. That's why you should go to work to enjoy the little things. Push for more vacation time, push for a raise, get more stuff. I don't think that's it. This past summer I had a, this past month, um, I enjoyed watching one of the um, a sporting spectacle, in, in primarily held in Europe, called the Tour de France. A bunch of guys riding bikes through the country. Isn't that exciting? Think about that. Watching men in tights ride bikes. It almost kind of rhymes. But here's, here's the thing, watching that, in the course of that coverage, helicopters will travel around the, with the tour, with the, the race on a given day, and they cover a hundred and some miles of France, etc. They show incredible vistas, incredible views, uh, not only of the natural uh, 
topography that's there, the mountains and the streams and the, all that, but, but also the architecture of, of Europe. And some of you actually have been to Europe. I've never been um, to that part of France of, uh, before. And over and over again, we would see as a helicopter would circle around an old cathedral or even an old um, uh, castle or whatever, but particularly in my mind now is the old cathedrals. Some of them built in the 1300s or 1400s that still look quite pristine, at least from a helicopter view. They're incredible views. And as I was hearing the commentators speak about that with some intelligence, them talking about the history of these cathedrals, they're talking about some of these being built and it took them over 100 years to build some of these. Uh, Westminster Abbey, even in England alone, has gone, undergone uh, construction work for over 500 years in various ways. We're looking at cathedrals that have been built for a very long time, and if you happen to be a worker on one of those cathedrals, your work project will outlast your lifetime, if you can imagine that. Like, you don't actually ever get done with the work, all right? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to go with me to a stone quarry. Imagine we are going to watch some of the people who are helping to create some of this beauty. And we go to a stone quarry, and you're with me, and we see a couple people working in the stone quarry, and we, we ask these individuals one question. Now, this illustration has been used by a variety of different people in different ways, and it has all kinds of different formats, but here's where I think it's helpful for us. Imagine if there are three workers in the stone quarry getting, cutting stone. We ask them this question, what are you doing? And person number one responds, what do you think I'm doing? I'm cutting stone. You think, well, okay, well, the guy told me to ask the question. It's not my fault. Okay, guy number one is cutting stone. And that's his answer to the question, what am I doing? You ask guy number two, hey, what are you doing? His answer is different. His answer is, I'm making a living. Making a living. My family's got to eat. I've got to eat. We've got to provide for the family. Providing for the family, man. We hit it here. You know, we're like 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. We don't, we don't mess around. But man, making a living. Brother's got to make a buck. I mean, you, you, this is what I'm doing. You ask guy number three, hey, what are you doing? His answer, I'm building a cathedral. I'm building a cathedral. Now, three guys actually doing the same thing in that moment. They're actually all cutting stone. One guy is lost in the meaninglessness of cutting a stone. Another guy realizes there's a bigger picture, but his bigger picture kind of stops at making a living for my family. Another guy, his vision is, I am building a cathedral. And it changes everything about what you do. In fact, the cathedral that I'm building is going to outlive me. The impact of what I'm doing now is going to outlive my lifetime. And here's what I'd like to suggest, that as we think about our work, the Christian view of work is similar to the cathedral builder, who's going to work to build a cathedral, but in the middle of it, he's simply cutting stone, but he realizes that the picture is bigger than that. In the Old Testament, the story is told of Nehemiah, a, a, a man of God who came and he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem when they were torn down. And Nehemiah was involved in a lot of things, but he was also involved in building. And as he was building the walls of Jerusalem, he built them so that ultimately there, there came to be a place where you could put a temple and worship of God could happen. Now check it out. I want you to see this. This is so important for you because some of us have this divide and we think what I do is not as sacred 
as what someone else might do. What I do is not as maybe spiritual as what someone else might do. Maybe I can see the pastor as a full-time ministry job. I get that. But I am not the pastor, and therefore I don't have that. Well, let me tell you this. With Nehemiah, it is impossible to create a temple without walls. So who's more important, the the builder who puts the walls together or the priest who leads the people in worship? You see, it's a very act of putting the walls in place that creates the sacred space where worship happens. Even in this building we're sitting in right now, what's more important? The craftsman who built this structure so that we can count on it every week that we're here, who can put a roof on well and take care of it when it leaks, or who can build the wall so that it doesn't fall down? Or is it the volunteers who teach our children or teach our Sunday school class or the the pastor who preaches every week. What's more important? One can't be done without the other. You cannot have a temple in that case without the walls. We cannot have this place to meet without the physical work of craftsmen to do the work of creating spaces for us. And I'm telling you, this is the way that work is for the Christian who realizes that there's a continual intertwine of what I do with a fuller and further work of God throughout the world beyond my lifetime. I want to show you just two passages that show a New Testament theology of, of work, and they're both in, um, written by the same author, Paul. first one is in Colossians. I'm just going to show them to you up here. And Paul is writing uh, here, and he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And then he says this, Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you, and what's that next word? Will. Since you know that you will receive. That's a future tense focus. You will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. In other words, you're working, the Titanic might be going down, yes, you will die. But there will be more than that. That is not the end. And if that is not the end, that changes everything about how you see your work. Paul writes again in Ephesians, very similar, this is going to sound similar, but I want to drive it home again. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Then he says this, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Paul is introducing to us, there is a future and eternal perspective for the work that you do. There is a a desire, a, a motivation to go to work that is beyond simply, let me provide for the needs that I have. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because if that's all that we have is let me provide for the needs in front of me, that is not enough. That is not enough to satisfy the desire of your soul. Our souls have this yearning for eternity, this yearning for the everlasting life that I believe God has wired into us. And what we do with our work is an expression of that, but it can never fully bear the weight of that. So if you're teacher, as you teach, you're building a wall to allow a sacred thing to happen. The shaping of a mind, the shaping of a heart, 
creating health in students, allowing them even to understand the world around them in a healthy way. You're not just pressing content down on people. If you're a physical therapist, you're not just helping someone's ankle recover. You are helping to restore the body that God has created. And in that restoration, you're giving encouragement and hope, allowing people to have a faith renewed in God that otherwise they honestly may not have. If you're a farmer, you're working to create the very base of our economic system, the very base of our food distribution system. You're not just milking cows and cutting hay. You're creating things that go beyond simply that. If you're a business owner, business leader, you're not just providing a place for employees to work, you're building that wall, but you're providing these people and your clients with something that satisfies a need, yes, but takes that even further in giving hope and encouragement for life beyond simply that. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you're not just changing diapers and, and shoving food in mouths and getting things spit out at you again. You are, you are nurturing the heart of the next generation of men and women. See, when the walls are built, when the work is done, it's never done just to get something for us. It goes beyond that. And the question I have for us this morning, as you think about your work, as I think about my work, as we think about what we do and how we even go to work, when you wake up, when you go to work, here's the question. Am I cutting stone, making a living, or building a cathedral? Am I cutting stone, am I making a living, or am I building a cathedral? See, if, if you're cutting stone... Here's what you'll feel. Discouraged, depressed, maybe a little bitter, thinking that someone else has better tools than you to do the job that you have to do. Getting weary and worn out in the act of just cutting stone. If we're honest, there are seasons of life where we all fit in each one of these. Where sometimes work is just an absolute drain. It's like, why do I even bother cutting the stone? My manager doesn't even care about this. This is over and over monotonous. Why am I doing this? If you're making a living, you're thinking a little bit beyond that, but really you're still in that world of what can work do for me? What can work do for me? How can I arrange my schedule to get what I need when I want when I want? What can work do for me? How can it satisfy my soul? How can it give me the things that I need? I need work to serve me. And work isn't a good enough God to do that. It isn't. It can't handle that weight that you want to give to it. It will ultimately flame out and you'll be discouraged and depressed and feel, man, meaningless, meaningless. What's the point of this? I've worked so hard. I've been smart. I've been good. I've done better than anybody else has, but I'm still sliding into the sea. What's up? Or am I making a cathedral? Am I building a cathedral? Am I building something? Even in the work that I do, that takes people's vision beyond what they see right now. And let me just for a moment brag on us as people, if I can. Because I think there are many here who get this and want to keep getting this more. Just this past weekend, we had a, a chance to work out this principle in practice. 
a couple months ago, a conversation was had with me where one of our, one of our members here came to me and said, you know what, hey, I got, a, uh, I got a new vehicle for work. And I would like, I don't know what God is kind of telling me, but I just want you to know that if ever there's a need for, for my vehicle to be used for the benefit of people in this community, man, I just want to be ready to do that. In other words, the, the vehicle is not just about serving my needs at work. It's not just about me being able to do my job better or make more money, be able to go make things easier for me, not just advancing the ball on getting work accomplished. And so this weekend, you know, we had a need that came up where we needed to have a refrigerator delivered to someone in our community. And I, and I called this guy up and I said, hey, here's a chance. And he's like, you know what, I'm on it. And let's go. And at the drop of a hat, he makes this happen. And makes this thing go from a refrigerator from another member of our church who donated it and takes it over to another member of our community who needs it. And it seems like a small thing. Like, I I just drove my truck. Well, it's bigger than that. It's the recognition that my truck isn't just to serve me, that my vehicle isn't just here for me, that my work isn't here just for me, that there's something beyond this, that I'm not just building a wall with my life. I'm not just going to work. I'm building a cathedral. It's going to outlive me. In fact, I might even get the work done. But in what I do, I'm shaping the hearts and influencing the people around me with the hope of God. And that's what happened here. Because of the gratitude on the other side of that fridge delivery is, man, this is incredible. This is great. Creating the kind of response that says, there is a God. There's people who care. There's people who love in this community. And so let me ask you, and I hope to encourage you, when when you're going to work, not just to get paid real money, but in the work of your hands, you can be cutting a stone, you can be making a living, or you can be making a cathedral. And how you see what you do will shape everything about the value and the import of your life and about the, the weight and the value of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The opportunities are there. The opportunities are there. The chance is there. Build a cathedral. Build a cathedral with what you do. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to interact with the teachings of Scripture and ask some questions about how we interact with them. I pray that you would give us the courage to do what we know we need to do, to to rethink how we even come to the work that we do, to reimagine the focus of our business, to reimagine an interaction with our employees this week, to reconsider how we're working with our clients, to be reinvigorated with why we're taking care of the children the way we're taking care of, to consider again our role as grandparents and the impact that that can have on the next generation and the generation beyond. Father, we thank you that we have this hope beyond the grave 
And that even though we slide into the sea still, death is not gone. The power of death is gone. And that because of Jesus Christ and the hope of the resurrection, it changes everything about how we work. And so we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection. We thank you that we can take the weight that our soul wants to put on work and put that on the cross. And that can be born. And so we know in a real way that you, God, our, our Savior Jesus Christ, are really enough for what we need. We need you. And in the process of serving and worshiping you, give us the courage to serve others in the same way as we go to work and think about how we do what we do. We thank you for your love and your care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.